Welcome back to the next phase with Steve Key podcast. As we emerge from our COVID cocoons, our workforce has changed. And is this change permanent? And with it, are there challenges that come with you know, what I'm sort of looking at is this new world order? Elizabeth Wesley Casella is the founder and CEO of L12 Services, a Washington, D.C.-based firm focused on internal communications and organizational development. Now, she works with businesses to improve workflow, processes, and culture, leveraging sort of the institutional knowledge of existing team members. And I've always found that really important. And I'd like to welcome you to the podcast today, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. I appreciate being invited. This has been the, the highlight of my week. <laughs> let's let's hope it continues to be the highlight of your week. Uh, we're all dealing in this post-COVID world, and here we are. I mean, you're in Washington area, and I'm, I'm here in Toronto, and I guess Zoom has become a way of life for all of us in the, in the past. But in this post-COVID world, am I right by saying that our world has sort of changed forever in terms of the workplace? Oh, I definitely think so. I think that we are in a position to celebrate um, the innovation that's come about over the last couple of years, the, the creative ways that people have started to um, incorporate their personal lives with their work lives and still be productive. Um, and, you know, from an organizational standpoint, I think that, you know, there's a, a lot to be said for being able to, you know, save on that rental space um, to be able to uh, build trust with with the people that are on your teams, knowing that if their work is project based, that the outcome is what is most important, not necessarily the the specific hours that somebody has their fanny in a chair. So, yes, I do think that we have um, made a, a change that's going to stick. So you think work from home in one way, shape, or form is here to stay? In one way, shape, or form, yes. I think that it is dependent on the organization and the culture and the people doing the jobs. And I think that it'll take a while, but we're going to sift into and self-select um, where we want to work, who we want to work for, who we want to work with, um, and the people who are in alignment with the needs of the organization or the organizations that are in alignment with the talent and the skills of, of their teams, they will come together. It may be you know, messy and difficult right now, but I don't believe that it will always be that way. I've always found, I think pre-2020, I would have died to have more flexibility to work from home when I hated my commute because it was an hour and a half each way to get to work. But then I thought, one of the great things about working in an office environment is the camaraderie and the sharing of information. And I still don't believe that that's as possible online. Do you agree with me or? or? Personally, I do as well because I need people. I, you know, I really enjoy my autonomy and I enjoy the silence that my personal space allows for me. But I am one of those people that my energy is generated by being with other people and it helps with my creativity and my ideation. And so I get it. Um, also, I think that that commute, as horrible as it may have seemed in the first place, gives us a time to you know, prepare ourselves for the day. It gives us a little bit of space in between obligations that we have on either side. So I think that also served a purpose. 
But I'm only speaking for either myself or a subset of people that have the same needs that I do. There are other people that really don't thrive on personal interaction and and the same type of communication. So, you know, we have people all around the spectrum that are benefiting in different ways. Yeah, you know the, the the flip side to all of this, and you know, I I don't know if you've ever been to Toronto. I uh, love Toronto. Well, I love Toronto. One of the, one of the I was I was downtown last week for the first time, right in the downtown core, in probably eighteen months. And one of the key things that we have in the city is this. Uh, we call it the path, and it runs from the main Union Station up towards the Eaton Center. It's a huge with lots of shops and stores and restaurants and the whole thing. And it's completely empty. Uh, And so many places have closed as a result of people not being in the office towers using this. So I'm finding that there are office towers now with empty space. There are stores and things with nobody there. Uh, Either they can't afford to continue to work or they can't find people to be able to work. Now, as we come out of this pandemic, one of the challenges that I think we're facing is finding people to be able to do the jobs. Is is that as much of a problem in the US as I'm, I'm, I'm seeing here in Canada? You know, it's interesting. Our labor statistics right now are at about the same level that they were pre-pandemic. So it's about 3.6. What's different right now, I think, is the overriding, let's say fear, but fear may be a little bit strong of a word, um, that there is a uh, kind of a feeling in the zeitgeist that people who do the jobs now can leverage their collective desire to change those jobs. And as people are sifting around to find the place that's the right fit for them, organizations are feeling the pinch because, um, you know, during that flux and during that change, it's an unknown whether or not you have the staffing up. Again, it's a situation where given enough time, people will self-select and will sort themselves out. But um, I think the talent is out there. I think that there's just a reluctance to commit to something that's, um, you know, led by an organization or, you know, a a standard um, type of work solution. There's also a subset of those people who are currently trying their hand at entrepreneurship. I'm an entrepreneur. It's, It's, you know, something that I think is the backbone of our economy. However, not everybody's cut out for that. Most of us weren't trained from the get-go on how to run a business and what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. So there are going to be some people that once their bootstrapping money runs out, decide to go back into the workforce. So, you know, give it 18 to 36 months. And I think that there will be an influx. And that's where the work that I do and my firm does comes into play. We're helping organizations prepare for that next phase because right now is the perfect time for businesses if they um, are in a, a position to to you know think strategically to really get their house in order, whether it's culture or processes or workflow, paying attention to that and getting it sorted out and preparing yourself for people to be ready to come back and making yourself really attractive, which will make you competitive, that's what needs to happen in this space in in time in order to use the time productively. So effective and efficient 
workflow and making sure all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted and that people are able to do the jobs properly. Is this a, a step that companies need to do to ensure that they retain their key employees? Because, you know, we talked about, you know, and I talked about this in the intro about the whole institutional knowledge base of team members. And if people have choices and they can go elsewhere, a company really has to be worried that they have to have everything in order to keep their top talent. Yes. And the the easiest, fastest, least expensive way of going about that, that has additional benefits surrounding it, is to engage the people who are on the ground at their desk, still part of the work ecosystem, and ask them to help create the solutions. Ask them how to create the documentation that supports their workflow, whether it's workflow mapping, which is a visual mechanism for teaching people how to do their job effectively, or if it's SOPs, or if it's focus groups discussing how to improve the processes since we've been through so many iterations from transferring to remote work to the transition to hybrid. Sometimes that trigger wasn't pulled, but plans were in place. There's been a lot of change. So the easiest way to create personal reinvestment in an organization and help to stem the tide of attrition is to talk to the people who do the jobs and ask them for their thoughts so that what they're doing is investing of themselves, giving input, helping to create those solutions. And that compels people to stay to see if those solutions are effective and put in place. And it allows them to have a deeper understanding of what it means to be successful in their job. If you've helped to create the list of the, let's say, five things that it takes on a daily basis for you to say, I completed my job today. I'm done. Yay, that feels good. Then that clarity allows people to stack win upon win day after day and allows them to feel better about the work that they do. It also allows them to identify the pieces that may be unnecessary if it's a broken process or it's unnecessary work. Um, So really getting people to uh, be part of the conversation of improving those processes and and creating the, the standard with which success is defined is really, really important. And it's not that difficult. It just takes time. People want to work and be proud for the company that they work. And I think that generally you want to work hard. I think you want to show loyalty, but there comes a point. And I, 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 I talked to this a lot with younger people in the workforce. And I said, they're not going to hand you everything. You have to ask for it. You have to want to improve. You want to take all the, the training that's available to you. You want to you want to grow and develop. And the second you're not getting that support or you're not growing in development, then maybe you need to go elsewhere. And I think you know that that kind of goes hand in hand with this the issue of the mass resignation that people are just leaving. By what you're saying in in the previous answer, is that going to help really stop people from leaving? Well, couple that with um, a real active focus on relationship development, I believe that that will. It's important that the people in leadership or direct reports or management understand who is doing the work and why they're there. So, for example, if you have an organization that um, wants to uh, recreate their culture, if, if maybe over this pandemic they've realized that their mission, vision, and values weren't 
really explicit both to the people doing the work and to their external audience, it would be really beneficial to start the program and process change where we're looking to improve our processes with some direct relationship development. So schedule more one-on-one time with that employee or the direct report um, that has nothing to do with productivity and has everything to do with relationship development so that you can find out if the worker is really interested in professional and personal development programs, or they're really interested in, in, you know, what their future steps are to a different position within the organization or learning more about the industry itself. So you can provide those additional benefits, get to know each other because those kind of offline conversations that are yet scheduled, they're, they're gold mines for information. And plus who doesn't want to work with teams and individuals that, you know, they, they know there's a form of shorthand that's created there. There's a, a deeper personal investment and people aren't leaving their jobs due to money or title right now, right now, at least from the, the polling and surveying conversations that we've had over the past three years, um, they're, they're leaving because they feel either unheard or they feel misaligned with the organization. So organizations can, you know, make plans to take the time and, and implement the manpower to dig deep into relationship development and that process improvement that is a collective conversation. Your work, you know, in a, it's a consultancy basis and you're going to work with companies. Why would a company, one, come to you? And two, this is a two-part question. And two, what would you initially do going into a company? Well, organizations come to us because right now they are underwater and overworked. They're overwhelmed trying to keep the wheels on the bus. So they're, you know, the the goals, whether they're annual goals or their quarterly goals that they're trying to reach, that that is all of the bandwidth that the executives can put into it. They don't have the time to implement the processes that it takes to focus group different pods or teams or departments to to, um, identify where process improvement can happen. And they often overlook the opportunities for relationship development. So we go in and we help to facilitate that. And the ways that we do that, part two, um, (laughs) are by first starting with um, uh, basically uh, an assessment that Um, helps people understand the chaos tolerance of the the team body. So what we're looking to do is identify burnout. And once we've identified the level of burnout and where people are on the spectrum, that helps us to really personalize and tailor the communications types, the communications channels, the communications cadence that we need to help meet the staff where they're at. Because in burnout, What you don't want to do is have one channel where you expect everybody knows all the information is there. Let's say it's the intranet or it's a weekly email from leadership. If you have people that just don't have the bandwidth to access information through those two channels, maybe they need something that's more intimate, more personal. So maybe it's that you have town hall communications or that you have some sort of mass Q&A opportunity, or you implement more frequent direct report meetings. We want to make sure that we're meeting the teams where they're at so that they feel 
um, as though there's trust that's being built, that they feel like they're being listened to, and they can ask those questions that help them clarify what metrics you know they need to keep in mind in order to feel like success is clarified for them. So we start there and, and we do some work around, you know, surveys about the mechanics of the job. Do you understand the platforms that you're working on? That kind of thing. And then interviews that talk more about culture, some stay interview questions, um, questions like, do you understand how decisions are made at the leadership level? Mm-hmm. And we come, we come at that giant, you know, pile of data and we aggregate it to provide leadership with a baseline report that tells them where people stand. You know, 67% of your organization doesn't understand which communication channels each type of information or communication should go on, you know, that kind of stuff. And from there, we, we have a really clear picture of where the people stand with regard to burnout, what they, what they do understand, what they don't understand, kind of like a SWOT analysis. And we're able to create either activities or programs or trainings um, that support the growth into that next phase. So we do all of the work that helps organizations keep their people, codify it, document it, create the systems, and then provide them with a framework for whenever the next big thing happens, whether it's a pandemic or maybe it's you know additional resources that you get from scaling. Um, all of that is chaos. Some of it's just happy chaos and some of it is frustrating chaos. That's so interesting the way you put that. And, and the reason I say that is the last 10 years of the corporate world, I worked uh, for the insurance industry for a trade organization that represented home and auto and business insurers. Communications was challenging at times because you had different types of people and you're, you were talking there about really surveying and trying to find the right method to reach the right people. Working in communications, I felt I knew everything because, of course, I was involved in communicating that information. But, you know, somebody who is a very analytical person or data-driven person, which a lot are in the insurance industry, they they like the checklists and the nuts and bolts of things where I prefer the presentations, the town halls to, to, to actually engage and interact. So, I can see where that can be a challenge. Does the size of the company make a difference? And I'm gonna I'm gonna use another example. I worked for many years uh, for uh, the Toronto Stock Exchange here in in Canada, and it was a 500 person organization, so a small organization with a huge footprint. I left there to go work for a very very large insurance company uh, with 30,000 employees around the world, and I felt lost because I just didn't fit in that environment. And then, of course, working for the Trade Industry Association was 250 people. So I was really good in small organizations that had big footprints rather than huge organizations that you know were just this matrix of things like that. Is it just as easy to change a big organization as it is a small one? <laughs> <laughs> I love how you framed that rather than is it just as hard? It's, is it just as easy? You know, I'm I'm old enough that I've learned along the way that it's all about eating the elephant. You know, do it one bite at a time. I almost used that. (laughs) One of the, um, you know, one of the barriers for us is that if I'm thinking of an enterprise 30,000 person uh, size organization, they probably already have an internal communications department 
So where our work shines is to organizations smaller than that. If there's an internal organization department or an individual that's in charge of that, we can help support them and give them ideas and then be the ones that deploy all of the work. Because really what you're hiring us for is to bring our expertise in and to have the time to do the things that need to be done. Your your team is already, you know, at max capacity doing the things that were just required under normal circumstances. Um, I would say that our largest client has ranged about 10,000 people. um, And it was a complex project. However, we were working with some amazing leaders that understood that it would A, be time intensive, and B, it needed to happen in phases. And we were really clear about what we could bite off at one time and what to expect in which order. So, um, you know, I, I don't think that we're probably going to be working with AT&T any day soon, but, um, you know, anything smaller than that, the conversation is always there. I mean, my purpose for being on the planet and being a businesswoman at this point in my life during these circumstances is less about trying to land the client and more about trying to impact the way that we do business. It's really clear to me that human beings need a different way of doing things. And if I can help to um, shift some perspectives and give people the tools that they need to accomplish this and still be comfortable, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hit the dirt and say, I did a good job in this lifetime. I, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, uh, my audience uh, stretches uh, across Canada, into the U.S., uh, some companies, some journalists, some PR practitioners. If an organization is interested in your service and services and needs to reach out, what's the best way to do that? And what organization wouldn't be? There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> The the website, which has more information, is L12 Services. So it's the capital L, the number one, the number two, services.com. I am always on LinkedIn, and my name has a unique spelling, so I doubt there are any others of me on there. It's Elizabeth with an L instead of an E, and Wesley Casella. Um, So conversations that need to happen or brainstorming or, you know, just ideas about whether or not best practices apply to an innovative thought that an organization may have to implement a a program, I'm always open to to those conversations. So I do hope that if this has piqued anyone's interest, um, that they reach out because I'm I'm happy to share what I've learned along the way. And it's been a very long road. Well, listen, uh, this is a great conversation today. I thank you so much for your time. I wish you all the best of luck in the in the future, because I, I actually think you probably are going to have a lot of work coming ahead. <laughs> oh, that would be wonderful. I, I would love an opportunity to make it back up to Canada. This has been one of the sadder parts of the, the pandemic, not being able to, to visit our neighbor. Um, okay. And I really appreciate you having me on, Steve. This has been super delightful. I knew it would be the highlight of my week. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, that's going to be a, a wrap of another edition of the next phase with Steve Key podcast. It's available on most of the podcast networks, including Apple, Spotify, and hosted on Buzzsprout. Until we speak again, have a great and safe day.